Hi, I'm Megan Z, and welcome to Clinic Ally, the show where we talk about neurodivergence, counseling, and clinician perspectives. Our focus is how to support our loved ones and ourselves. Let's learn how to work together and be Clinic Allies. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Clinic Ally podcast, sponsored by Silver Linings Neurodevelopment in Huntsville. I am one of your co-hosts, Holly Sharp. I'm the resident board certified behavior analyst here, and I have with me my lovely co-host, Megan Zecker. Say hello to the people, Megan. Hey, everyone. This is Megan Zecker. I am a certified speech language pathologist, and today we're here to talk about ADHD. Let's get into it, Megan. Would you introduce our guests? Of course. Uh, We have with us here today Jessica Bearden. Hi, I'm Jessica Bearden. I'm a licensed professional counselor here at Silver Linings. Great. And we also have Bess Shelton returning. Hi, everyone. I'm Bess Shelton. I am a testing technician here at Silver Linings. All right, great. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. Um, Three of us also have something in common. We are all adults with ADHD. Um, We wanted to come on here to essentially talk about our experiences, um, you know, from childhood all the way up to adulthood, things that we've experienced and noticed uh, daily that have kind of shaped the way our lives work. I think people recognize the term ADHD, but I don't think they necessarily know what all that entails. Um, The first thing I kind of want to talk about is like, what is ADHD and how do you experience it? I know... Like, my experience has been different throughout my life because I was diagnosed young, um, and it's looked different at different ages and stages. And I think what the public think ADHD is, they just think, like, it's distraction um, when it's really so much more. It, It looks a lot more, to me, like the executive functioning skills of, like, being organized and, um regulating my emotions, that is the struggles I have mostly as an adult now. As a kid, I was super hyperactive, though. Are you hyperactive, like like the hyperactive type or hyper-focused? I don't remember what it's called. It's hyperactive. Um, I, I would say I'm combined, um, and I think just from treating it, I think most people are combined, and even if they are mostly one, they still tick on some of the other criteria. I would strongly agree with that. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And you were diagnosed as a kid too, right? I was not, no. Oh, you were not? I I was diagnosed when I was 23, um, last year, actually. So I've spent a year actually realizing what everything was, and I'm, like, going back and thinking about my whole life and dissecting it a little bit (laughs) um, and trying to figure out, oh, wow, that was... ADHD that I was very unaware of what that was. I am actually in the same exact place. (laughs) I thought you were diagnosed as a kid. I was also diagnosed probably within like, I guess it was a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago at this point, and have been like looking back on everything like, oh, oh, (laughs) and, you know, learning everything about it. I think, so my brother has pretty severe ADHD. Um, He's someone that is kind of the textbook, like, when he was a kid, they still use ADHD and ADD. Mm-hmm. Um, for our listeners, 
with the DSM-5, which is a diagnostic manual that's come out, inattentive and hyperactive and combined are all under the umbrella term ADHD. They no longer separate ADHD and ADD. They are under the same thing. Um, and my brother is very much like hyper-focus. When he's focused on something, you can't talk to him. He's not listening to you. He takes on a lot of like very special interests, kind of like obscure hobbies that he gets hardcore into for like three days, mm -hmm. masters, and moves on. Um, and, you know, he's kind of like the classic symptoms that you saw in a little boy. He got diagnosed when he was, I think, eight years old or so. So, you know, comparing myself to him, obviously I didn't have ADHD because his was so severe. And I also learned that that was what ADHD was. So getting older, getting diagnosed, I learned like, it is that, but it's also not. What people don't realize about ADHD is like you said, it's not just distraction. It's yeah. neurodivergence. It is, um, you know, the emotional dysregulation that you mentioned, um, executive dysfunctioning, which is difficulty with daily tasks, like you just can't force yourself to do them, which is very frustrating, not just for you, but usually your parents yeah. who are trying to make you do things. Um, Teachers. Yeah. 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 Also that <laughs> working memory problems. So like short term memory is really difficult. Um, impulsivity. And there are attention differences, but I've also heard before that it's not necessarily an attention deficit, it's an attention difference. Yeah. So what we prioritize and put our attention on is different than what like the general populace or neurotypicals would focus on. Yeah. Um, which, uh, there's like a ton other symptoms. I didn't realize like how much it affected mm -hmm. every part of your life until I got my diagnosis. And I think one thing that like, there's a list of all these symptoms, but the way that looks in people's lives is totally different than just that list of symptoms. Paying attention is the least of my concerns. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something to be said for, like, learning about ADHD and what it looks like for everyone because um, that'll help us better identify mm -hmm. it and others and then, of course, you know, bring awareness to what it is. And the nice part is, too, is that I think that it kind of, like, brings people's attention more to, like, what they're doing in their daily lives and their self-awareness of what symptoms they may have. Mm -hmm. Because part of it, too, is that we have human brains, they have human brains. Mm -hmm. Everyone probably experiences these symptoms to some degree. When you have ADHD, it's usually to a, like, higher frequency. Yeah. So it's like, yes, of course everyone loses their keys. Yeah. If I don't put my keys in a candle on my desk, I don't know where they are, and I may never see them again. Yeah. That's kind of the difference. Yeah. I feel like I accidentally almost went into, like, other things we were talking about. We just yeah. follow. We follow wherever the conversation goes. <laughs> we'll always come back to the main point at some point. And, and then like, the one person with ADHD will, like, pull us back. <laughs> well, that's also the nice part to me is that ADHD conversation flows so easily. Yeah. I actually will notice a difference between, like, me speaking with, like, someone with ADHD and, like, someone without ADHD. Mm -hmm. It feels very stop-start with someone yeah. who's neurotypical, but when I'm talking to someone with ADHD, it just spirals <laughs> and spirals. Am I the only neurotypical here right now? Yeah. yeah. All of you? Okay. Yeah. Designated normie. It's fine. My whole family, right, my whole household has ADHD. We're all, like, different, and so, I don't know, I just feel like we can all have a conversation so easily, but... 
I think someone, if they came in from the outside perspective, they would be so <laughs> confused and so thrown off on, like, what's happening. <laughs> I, like, my family is the same way. My, my my parents have not been diagnosed. I'm pretty sure my mom at least has it. Uh, I know my mom does, too. My brother has it, like, obviously, it's the one I was talking about. And then my younger brother thinks he may be inattentive. Um, and I don't notice anything strange about our conversations. It was really me hanging out more with one of my friends who's neurotypical, where he was like, where did that come from? <laughs> that I really started realizing. I was like, did that not, are you not associating? Right. Right. Makes perfect sense up right. here, though. Like, yes. I could make a trail of how I got there. Sometimes I like to go back if, like, I have a thought, or even if I say it, or if I just think it to myself, and then I'm like, huh, how did I get here? And it's really actually fun to go back and actually figure out where I got there from. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's honestly, too, it's like one of those weird feelings where you're like awkwardly trying to sequence Mm -hmm. back when someone else is like, how did we, how did we get here? And I'm like, don't interrupt the flow, please. I'm trying to think. (laughs) See, I don't, when I'm talking to someone, I don't worry about how they got there. I just follow along. Well, that's good. That's I just why think you're fun. We're to... having a good time. Yeah, yeah. That's why you're fun to talk to. Okay, good. <laughs> you can tell though when people are neurotypical and they're they're not following. Like their face is just like you're. Mm-hmm. You think I'm weird? It's cool. <laughs> My favorite one is the face of like I'm starting into a topic that I'm interested in, <laughs> and like I'm excited and I'm getting more excited like as I'm going and like the ball is rolling and they're looking at me and I'm seeing like their eyes glaze over and I'm like hurry stop talking <laughs> like quick we're done with the conversation move on and in my heart I'm like I don't want to I want to keep going I love talking about this but I also want to I don't know be considerate so <laughs> I stop what I'm doing okay um, so as as someone who's been on the other side of that interaction I can say I guess from socialization or learning politeness or whatever, and two, just loving someone or legitimately being interested in someone as a person or hearing what makes them excited, I can hang on a long time. But there are times when my own knowledge about the topic is just absent or maybe you have shared so much about you're excited about and I can't follow because I don't know enough about it and I'm struggling to stay with it and I feel my own brain being like I'm ready to move on because I can't this isn't at that point it's not a conversation yeah I can't contribute other than ask more questions Mm -hmm. but then I'm also introverted so then I'm like I feel my battery going the more questions I ask and I'm trying to think what's what's a good thing to say because I like my friend or I'm interested in this topic. I just don't know a lot about it. Yeah. Right. What do what do we do on that side of it? Because I love I nerd out on things. I've been in that position where I can tell, ooh, I'm I'm going on about this way too long. Uh, you know, they're ready to check out for whatever reason. But what do I do when that happens? When I feel my battery draining or when I'm I just don't know enough about what you're talking about to really follow and have a great conversation and I'm getting tired. What's a way to do that in an affirming way? Like you aren't weird. I'm I just don't know what else to say, but I still want to talk to you. I think honestly, that might depend on the person. Mm-hmm, so yeah. like if you told me 
that exact thing, like, you're not weird, I just don't know what you're talking about, I'd go, yeah, and that would be okay way for me, like, to end the conversation with me personally. Okay, so I, that's I, acceptable. I, I yeah. appreciate, like, someone being straightforward, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, like, whether or not I'm like, oh, I don't get to talk about that thing right now, like, that's for me to deal with. That's not for the other person yeah. to deal with. No. And I feel like if you're, like, admitting, like, I really appreciate that you're excited about this, and I wish I could be there with you, but I just don't know enough about it, Mm -hmm. Um, and just telling them that, and then, I mean, that person surely should understand, and, like, again, like Megan said, like, that would be my um, reaction to that, and, like, how I would have to deal with that, and that has nothing to do with the other person at all. Yeah, and I can't speak for everyone, but I... And I think a lot of people who have ADHD or some kind of neurodivergence appreciate the directness because it eliminates, like, all the guesswork that we're having to figure out about what you're trying to say. Yes. I would say that, and um, you guys can, like, correct me if I'm wrong, part of, like, my, the way that my brain works is it's the association that comes with ADHD is you're bouncing different associations together. And that's kind of how we make sense of things in a lot of ways is by comparing um, similar experiences or like, you know, um, TV shows or whatever where there's no like, oh, this is in this compartment of our brain. So we don't go there. Everything's open game. We can associate one thing with a million different things, (laughs) anything in the world, anything we've experienced. It's to me, it's one of the things that makes us like really good at like improv stuff and like being like quick on our feet is that like we can just kind of pull from whatever association. Mm-hmm. When people are not clear or not straightforward, I'm gonna try to make associations with that experience. So whatever, like if something's unclear, I'm going to try to be reaching out to all my worldview stuff and my f- similar or f- like previous social ex- like experiences mm-hmm. to try to figure out what they're trying to say to me. Or like if they were upset with me when they said that or you know, whatever. Which ends up causing me some anxiety, like, in the end. Because then I'm like, what's happening? And I can't confirm any of that and all of that good stuff. Um, So I I think that's another reason why being straightforward ends up being super helpful. It's because I can do something if you just tell me. Yeah, and you can misinterpret it. Like, I have to have conversations with parents sometimes about if you tell a kid to go clean their room, well, what that means to that kid versus what it means to you is different. If you want them to pick up the clothes out of the floor, you need to say, pick up the clothes out of the floor. Because in my brain, if someone tells me to clean something, um, that that's a very vague statement and I'm just gonna do what I think I need to do. And it's, you know, because I can make all those just a, a, assumptions and um, associations with what they actually meant versus what they actually meant. See, I just, love all of my neurodivergent community <laughs> members so much but I think that is um that is a habit that I have developed I think from just seriously working with neurodivergent in within the neurodivergent community is being straightforward um I was even noticing today someone texted me and hey can you talk or something vague like that and I was thinking well it depends I have some time but is this a three-minute phone conversation or a a half-hour rant session, and I was thinking how I have learned to text a friend and say, can you talk? I need to vent about this. Mm -hmm. 
if you can't, if you don't have time for that or bandwidth for that, let me know. And I've thought about how I have, I really don't like when I get vague, like messenger uh, requests. It's like, hey, give me a call sometime. I want to, there's something I want to ask you. Absolutely no, not. I message people and I say, <laughs> what do you need to I ask have you? this time available. I'd really like to pick your brain on this topic. It won't take longer than this amount of time. And I think I have learned that because it's been so necessary to give that to my students and my clients that I work with. But I think what's different is I may not be direct and straightforward in a way um, that maybe someone with autism or ADHD might be because I'm also able to consider the social part of it simultaneously mm -hmm. and pre-plan what I'm going to say and think about how it sounds or it, did I put enough nice words in there or did I, did, was, how was my tone of voice? So I'm more likely, Megan, to tell you, oh, Megan, I am so excited. I love how passionate you are about cooking those muffins and they were delicious. But I'm, I'm just really not sure that I have anything else to contribute because I have not researched or learned about all these cool methods you're talking about. Hey, though, I will, I'm willing to learn. Like, do you, And then I might even follow up and say, hey, I don't have anything next week for lunch. We can talk more then um, because I'm just excited to interact with you where I feel like some of my neurodivergent counterparts might say, well, I'm direct, but it gets me in trouble. Well, and in that instance, that my point is, I adore you. I like to see you excited, and I do want to talk about muffins, but uh, my own limitations are preventing it. <laughs> now, if it was something that I truly wasn't interested in, that would be a lot harder, because I would not want to say, this is boring, and I'm not interested. I'd have to find some other way to be direct in a roundabout way. Let's end this conversation without hurting her feelings. And maybe that's what I can, maybe that's easier for me. I don't know. I was going to say, actually, I feel that way about talking a lot to people is me going, this is boring because like ADHD, just like autism, you have an interest-based brain. It's not like task oriented. It's, it's interest-based. So if you're interested Congratulations, your working memory is working and you're able to do things and pick up information and your brain holds on to it. And if you're not interested in it, good luck. So I think there's a lot of times when you have a conversation with somebody that you're like, I could perhaps care less. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it takes, it takes energy and effort on my part to not just say things like that. To not just be like, you're boring me, leave me alone. And so. I just, I want you guys to know it won't hurt my feelings. If you just, I'll know where that's coming from. It's, it's more of like, there was one time I remember when I was sitting there and like someone was talking about like fast food preferences and I was like, wow, I just so don't care. <laughs> but you obviously cannot say or like do anything about that. So like the same way that like, I feel like neurotypicals are like, we need to like regulate how we respond to you because you're clearly excited is also me being like, I don't care if it's boring. They're your friend, be nice and listen. <laughs> Pay attention to what they are saying. Which yeah, that's essentially the similar process going on exactly. there. Mm -hmm. We just have to do it back and forth. Mm -hmm. So when is it okay though, to just be blunt? Or to just say, you know, as a 
person with ADHD, I'm struggling being interested in this. So I'm struggling interacting with you. Do Is there a time that it is appropriate to say that just to other people with ADHD? Honestly... I I think like me and my friend like my one of my friends we specifically just say I don't want I can't talk about this anymore, and, but that's usually because like maybe it's getting a little emotional we don't want to continue that conversation like whatever we'll just stop it there. But I think for the most part, it is like personally like what you want to do. But I think honestly, if there's something that's like it's continued to be boring and it's still boring, you start kind of either avoiding it. Mm-hmm. Or you're like, wow, great, we're talking about this again. What's my, like, quickest way to, like, end this part of the conversation? Like, you're kind of trying to get around it. Not because you probably dislike the person talking about the boring thing. You're just like, I'm going to lose my mind if I try to remember what you're talking about. So is it fair to ask a person with ADHD or to expect a person with ADHD to exhibit tact like that or like you were saying when you're thinking this is my friend I need to hang on here as long as I can or is that inappropriate because I'm not neurodivergent and you guys are I ask in part because I've been talking to my daughters about having tact because one of them may be super excited about something And they want to go tell the other one. And the other one's response is, wah, wah, wah. You know, it's... And then the opposite happens. That one gets excited, runs to tell her sister. And then her sister reacts in a similar fashion. And it just ruins the whole mood, you know. And I I sort of called a truce with them the other day and said, you guys have got to learn about tact. You know this is super important to your sister. You see how excited they were to tell you. Even if you don't get it. It could be great to respond with enthusiasm instead of being so blunt and direct and saying so or okay, which is what they said to each other. But is that fair? I know that there's debate online about um, specifically autistic people. Should we expect autistic people to mimic how neurotypicals interact or uh, how we would handle a social interaction. Is it fair to ask people with ADHD? That's a big question. Because I've, <laughs> I've had this conversation with supervisors in the past because, like, you know, when you think of autism and eye contact, how a lot of people with autism don't make eye contact. Well, here that's pathologized and it's like, seen as socially inappropriate but other cultures it can be like a sign of respect and so it's like how do we find the balance between expecting neurodivergent people to conform in a way that allows them to function in society have a job have friends and relationships all the things that they need but also allow society to be like accepting and understanding and I I don't think it's inappropriate, but I think on everyone's part, there needs to be better understanding of what ADHD and autism and neurodivergence is so that when we are blunt and we do not act in the way that is socially acceptable, that they understand that that we're just different and that we're not just trying to be rude um, and so that we can all kind of have some compassion for each other. 
Agreed. Jumping to the conclusion of, well, that person's rude. Yeah. Not helpful. Yeah. I think something I learned um, from a community I was involved in was the idea of being curious before you're judgmental. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so training myself to wonder, oh, I wonder why were they so blunt or why did they say it that way or I noticed they didn't look at me as examples instead of they are this or they don't this. Yeah. I think there's a lot of ideas surrounding ADHD too that are just like not true. I think people expect us to not be blunt because we have ADHD and I don't mean that like because we have ADHD but because more of the trope with ADHD is that you're like this bubbly happy very kind of not spacey but like easily distractible like that very quote-unquote like quirky person um but like very golden retriever-esque and that is true of some people absolutely and the problem with that is also that it's ignoring not only like the fact that there are negatives that come with like adhd there are things that make just like daily tasks way more difficult than they should be, um, and the struggle is all internal. So of course no one really sees it happening, which makes it harder to believe. Um, But also like it kind of denies the fact that um, us managing those symptoms, we may have moments where we're blunt. We may have things that we're like really frustrated about. We might seem um, or come across as like rude or short if we're hyper-focusing on something and someone starts interrupting us. like certain things like that that still come with ADHD, but no one thinks about that because it's like ADHD has been labeled as this happy-go-lucky syndrome where not only people don't realize that it's not just about attention, it's also like, it's a multifaceted like change in the brain and you're a multifaceted person still with ADHD. Um, It doesn't just affect your attention in class or attention at work, it also affects how you process things in every single day of your life. Um, And like even your personality. So I think like, honestly, part of more of the problem to me is like the idea that like, we're not allowed to be blunt because we have to be this ADHD trope of being like squirrel, oh, like whatever, which I I hate that joke. I'm sorry, guys. No, it's fine. It's fine. Let me let me say though, it this, misrepresents. It yes. misrepresents, but it's also like when I, like I said earlier, squir- like it's an interest based brain thing. Who's interested in squirrels? I'm sure some people are, but like it would never be. <laughs> it would never be a squirrel. Yeah. And the problem is not the squirrel. The problem is if I see something and I can't immediately identify it, or if I hear something that I can't immediately identify then I start asking myself questions about that thing because I'm curious now. And for me, I'm really good at multitasking. So I can still have a conversation back and forth while paying attention kind of to something else. I like to say, since I'm so inattentive, nothing gets 100% of my focus. Everything gets like 20%, which is why I'm good at multitasking. Um, But like I'm processing multiple things kind of at the same time. The noises that I hear don't turn off just because I'm in a conversation now. So if I hear the air conditioner and I can't, I don't immediately recognize it as the air conditioner, I'm going to sit there going, what is that? Like while I'm talking and then it will slowly start taking up more of my attention. But I would never just be like, oh, now I'm just distracted by this one thing and it has nothing to do with my interests and therefore I'm not going down like the association rabbit hole. I can relate to, 
I can relate to what you were describing as maybe being rude or, or coming across as short because your the functions of your brain were doing so many different things at once and you weren't able to concentrate necessarily on having a perfectly polite response. But where I relate is, um, and I think neurotypicals would, uh, I've got so many things on my mind right now and I didn't realize I was short to the neighbor I saw in Walmart. I was just in a hurry. I wasn't mad at them. Or um, I've been home with kids all day and I've had to cook so many different meals and clean up their messes. And then my husband comes in the kitchen while I'm cooking dinner and says, hey, come show me where you want me to drill those holes. And then I might snap at him. So that's where it's, it's different and similar, but those things, I feel like I can solve those things more easily because they're usually situational. Mm-hmm. I was about to That's say, not my daily, how I'm processing and living in the world. You're going home from a full day of work and you're doing like more work at home or taking care of the kids or whatever. And then like with ADHD, usually then there's like an entire wall of background just also still going on in your head. And it has nothing to do with anything you're doing. It has everything to do with a million other things, including the immense guilt you probably feel because, oh, you haven't done the dishes, and now you're cleaning a different part of the kitchen, so you know you should get to the dishes, mm-hmm. but you really do not want to do the dishes. Like, it's it's kind of, like you said, it's like that frequency and the severity of that experience is a little bit different. Um, well, I know how bad it feels when I'm overwhelmed and I snap at someone out of my overwhelm So I don't understand why, I I guess I don't understand why some people have a hard time then having empathy for people with ADHD. If you know how bad it feels when you're in a bad mood for whatever reason and you, you snap at someone or hurt someone's feelings or you act out, we've all done it. When you know somebody's living in that noise every day just trying to go along with regular life... Why get hung up on whether they were rude to you one time? I don't know. I think that um, that's just a question for a different person or that person. (laughs) My therapist tells me all the time, um, you are not responsible for people's reaction. Um, And so she, because I always worry about what other people think, what they're saying, like what everything, Um, their actions, how they respond to something that I would say. Um, And she always tells me like, you do your part, what you think is best, and then um, you're not responsible for how they react or how they take that. Like, you can help them along the way, but initially, you're not responsible for that. Mm -hmm. And you just have to do you, pretty much, and what you think is best. And I think like that, too, and I think that comes from a lifetime of watching other people's reactions to things I say and do. And then adjusting accordingly and then realizing, okay, that wasn't okay to say, that wasn't okay to do. And now as an adult, I'm 30 and I have 30 years of experience of that. And I'm like always in situations thinking, did I say that right? Was that socially appropriate? I do the same thing. And I, I'm not good. I'm not great at it now. I still do those things sometimes. And kind of like what we were talking about earlier is I get very overstimulated and stuff too. And so then I just snap or, um... I have a million things that are running around in my head and like I'm not actually paying attention to the conversation so then like something comes out of my mouth and I'm like oh wait did I say that 
appropriately? Did I hurt someone's feelings? Did I respond to that how I needed to? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just all the things. (laughs) Well, my question is, what is the big deal? Because I've learned... I mean, I have anxiety. I think that it's my anxiety that talks to me in that moment. So think, oh my goodness, did I talk too much? Did I take over that whole conversation? Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just blurted that out. Was that, did that hurt their feelings? I have just learned to go and ask. And so I would be very likely to come back later and say, hey, Bess, I really feel like when we were talking earlier that I just took over the whole conversation. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. And let you correct, because then my conscience is clear and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Or I might be more likely to come say, hey, Megan, I feel like I snapped at you earlier. I was super stressed out about this thing, but I took care of it. I'm really sorry about that. I feel that uh, that keeps me from dwelling on it. Mm-hmm. Do you guys feel the same relief or do you find that you would just be constantly having to go and get validation from people? There are times that I do that, but if I did it as much as I wanted to, it would be too much. (laughs) It would be like, yeah. Yeah. I would say that the emotional dysregulation also has a piece in here. Okay. So what I think has a tendency to happen, and there's like two parts of this. So you guys know like RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria, Mm -hmm. is often something that comes hand in hand with ADHD. So it's when any, any form of rejection, as minimal as it possibly could be, Whether it's like, I mean, if it's really kind of severe, someone disagreeing with you, like one of your friends disagreeing with you on something, um, something as small as that can kind of like immediately set off your emotional dysregulation and now you're spiraling down into this like, yeah, (laughs) depression basically, where you're like, oh, I can't believe I said that. What's wrong with me? Why did I do it like that? Okay, I would never think that. I would think, oopsie. That's very very interesting because I always thought, I'm not super familiar with that, but I always thought that that was my anxiety piece of it. Um, But it's not, which is very interesting. Anxiety and depression go hand in hand for a lot of people, but like, Honestly, a lot of people with ADHD are also diagnosed with both of those things, Mm -hmm. sometimes before they're diagnosed with ADHD. That's how I was. Yeah, and that's also how I was. When I started treating my anxiety symptoms was when I was like, oh, I have, there's still symptoms left. That wasn't with my anxiety, and that's when I ended up finding out it was ADHD. But anything that was small enough to set off that emotional dysregulation... I would immediately start just like this cloud kind of forming and then I would just get really upset. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, you're like, why would I go and tell that person I'm sorry? They already know I'm terrible or like they already like, like I can't go talk to them. I've already messed this up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard. I had no idea. (laughs) It is like that. It's like um, your whole self-worth just kind of crashes for a moment or two. And you have to pick yourself back up. Here I am, like, telling myself, oh, Holly, you did a whoops. Go say you're sorry. (laughs) You're still a good girl. (laughs) Silly Billy. And we're just over here like, everything I've done is terrible. Your world is crashing. (laughs) Everything I've done is awful and not worth anything. I'm such a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Right out the gate. Yeah. That's that's another reason. Because it's like, if you try to do that every time, it's, you know, pretty frequent. But it's also just, like, covered in this cloud of, like... 
sadness. Well, I <laughs> There's no better way to say that. <laughs> you wouldn't want to go share that. Hey, I'm like drowning in sorrow over here in self-doubt. Sorry I interrupted you earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's also embarrassing to be like, hi, I'm drowning in self-doubt well, and sorrow. So what do I do then? Okay, as a neurotypical friend to, or, you know, anything really, a service provider, community member, family member, fellow citizen, how do I help? Now that I have, now that I possess this knowledge, how do I help? Because I don't want you to feel that way after an interaction with me, like you're a terrible person and a failure. I honestly think, like, it's about treating your ADHD, actually, more than, like, because it is internal, right? So rejection-sensitive dysphoria is, I mean, it's dysphoric, which means that you're not seeing it correctly. So to me, like, that treatment needs to happen through, like, therapy, medication, Mm -hmm. mental health support, um, education, but not so much, like, your daily fellow friends, I don't think they could do much to control that, because your friend might be like, yeah, you're, like, the best person, Mm -hmm. or whatever, and if you mess up, it doesn't matter. Like, you're just gonna, and so it's more of an internal struggle, really. Yeah, and allowing space to, like, mess up, and your reaction to those mess-ups, like, being like, it's okay that you interrupt, I get it, that's how you are, it's fine. I think, like, a lot of my friends are that way, they just... That that's how I am. They know it. They don't think anything about it. They don't treat me differently because of it. It's just a dynamic we work with, and allowing room for that in all spaces can be helpful. Well, I mean, I'll do my best. <laughs> but now I feel like here in the office, I'm going to come to you guys and be like, I hope you're feeling okay. <laughs> Everything's fine between us. I haven't thought anything bad about you at all. Hi, are you wallowing in self-doubt? <laughs> How's that going? Yeah, we're going to have to do a mood check because <laughs> now I'm going to worry about it. Well, that's and that's the emotional dysregulation side, which I would say is not more common in women, but I think women with ADHD verbalize that more than men do, um, which, I mean, you know, happens. But I think it's like a symptom that all of us experience but is not spoken about. And I, I definitely thought that everyone did the same thing. I right. thought everyone internalized that. Like, if it wasn't perfect, you should be, you should feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And then you just, yeah. This is alarming. I, I realized that you had not heard of this before. <laughs> as soon as I, mean, I saw of, your eyes, um, I was like, oh, sorry. I've heard of rejection-sensitive dysphoria. I'm familiar. Um, I didn't, I guess I thought it was more rare. And I didn't realize that the three people I'm in this room with would go through that if they just interrupted and then felt bad it felt a little bad about it later uh I had no idea our experiences were that different sometimes I say something in the office meeting and then I sit back and it's just like internally like that dog in the room on fire mm-hmm. saying this fine. is fine it's yeah fine. yeah that's I'm just like well to yep. be fair I make my share of blunders in the office meetings, but that's because it's a safe place for me. You're a delight. I don't worry about it later. And I don't know about you guys, but it's not just social interactions. It could be like, I left my laundry in the dryer for five days, and I'm like, I do not have myself together. I'm the worst. I can't do anything right. Yeah. I forgot I had a blanket for a week because it was in the dryer, and I just didn't remember that I had it at all. Because the dryer was just, like, I didn't walk past it 
at all. So I just didn't know it was there. And then someone was like, yeah, someone's blanket's in the dryer. And I was like, what? And, like, walked over and was like, maybe I should get tested. <laughs> that was before I had gotten, like, a confirmed diagnosis of just, like, and that's the thing is, like, people don't realize, like, it's like, oh, I lose my keys, too. I'm like, do you forget that you have a blanket for a week because it was out <laughs> of sight? I didn't think so. Me and my roommate both have ADHD. I threw away five sour creams this weekend because we just keep buying things. Because it doesn't exist when it's behind the closed door. So it it becomes really frustrating when you have to continually manage those symptoms. And I think with when you when you're teetering on the edge of a rejection sense of dysphoria or like, you know, any emotional dysregulation, if you're not someone who's like worked um, to kind of like counteract those thought processes or those feelings, you're kind of always like teetering on like I'm doing great. I'm a failure. Everything's awesome. I'm terrible. Like, it just kind of tends to go back and forth. I think something that was really hard for me as an adult who was diagnosed um, is that I spent my whole life with anxiety and depression. And so a lot of that took over everything. So then when I got on medication for my anxiety and those symptoms were really well managed and that's when my ADHD symptoms started to arise... I then looked back at, like, I used to do all of these things, and now I'm not. And what's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? Like, I'm a very clean and neat person. But then after I got on anxiety medication, my room just became a mess. And it drove me crazy, but I couldn't do anything about it to clean my room. But then I was mad at myself because I used to do that, and I used to be perfectly fine. What went wrong? And so that's something that's too, like, as an adult, you look back and you see all the things that, quote unquote, you used to do. And now you're having to kind of figure out a new route and figure out how to work through that. I was the same way. Like, as a kid, I was like a highly, like, achieving little perfectionist child. Um, and, like, I did clean my room. I came home. I would do my homework immediately. Like, things like that. And what I, one thing I listened to recently, because I've been trying to, you know, build up my knowledge a little bit, um, was that someone was like, one of the reasons why ADHD is harder to catch when you're in school or high school is because they are, they are structuring everything for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm in school and everything's structured for me and all I have to worry about is my anxiety and my depression or whatever, that's not much to worry about. Yeah. Which means sometimes it comes out in college. Because now you don't have that structure set for you. And, like, I can almost mark, like, to the moment <laughs> that, like, I, like, I had a harder time with scheduling things. Time manage was bad. And, like, you know, I'll even, so I have uh, one of my tricks that I'll do is I'll put, uh, like, a list of something on an expo marker on my mirror so I can see it. Well, here's the problem. If I leave it for one too many days, it's now part of the mirror. And it no longer exists. So you can come up with all these strategies that are like, okay, I'm going to compensate for this. I'm going to, like, figure this out. And you're still like, okay, that didn't work. But everything, you used to be able to do all of it. Yeah. So you're like, why isn't this working anymore? You're trying was, to have to trick the system. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that this morning, how I recommend... I make recommendations to families of children with that have ADHD and like, okay, make this more accessible or let's use a visual here. And I was thinking about, okay, what am I going to recommend next when they get used to the visual 
and it becomes part of the background. Mm-hmm. How do I recommend, how often should I recommend they change that out or change the location? Or like, I was thinking about that today. So you're telling me it's hopeless, okay? No, it's not. <laughs> you're doing the right thing because you're talking about when do I change it. Yes. And yeah. really, like, the idea is, like, honestly, changing it when they start getting into the groove is actually kind of the perfect thing. It causes a little bit of stress, but it also, like, they have to adapt to the new system immediately. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, personally, like, if someone, like, throws in a wrench while I'm, like, kind of getting in the groove, I'm like, oh. But I'm also then stimulated because now I have something new to figure out. So I never, I never get bored of that thing. I can yeah. keep doing it. It's just harder when you're trying to do it. Like I can do structure for my clients all day. Structuring for myself is a nightmare. Yes. And like I would hate, like I hate doing it. <laughs> but I have to get things done somehow. So it is, it's weird. It's also like I've, I saw something and I wish I could remember it or I wish I had like pulled it up because I obviously knew we had this podcast today. Um, did you forget because of your ADHD? <laughs> I maybe. <laughs> I I don't remember half the things that I say, but this was like a chart that was like the five things that motivate neurodivergence, and one of them, the only one I remember was competition. <laughs> and I was like, "You're so right. You're so right." Like whether it's like, okay, I'm gonna put on a timer for one minute, and I have to put away as many clothes as I can in that one minute. Go, or like, you're making up competitions where you're like so-and-so thinks they can write this essay faster than me yeah right have you talked to so-and-so about being in a competition no but it's what gets the essay written (laughs) and so you do it um so i think that's that's one of them i know i use a lot of positive reinforcement for myself for all like be like okay go do five put away five things then come back and you can like play a round of this game or whatever and then go do five things and then and that helps sometimes but there's a lot of tricks of the trade that I feel like we're still figuring out for ourselves, basically, just as you grow and your tasks become different. Well, I have to ask, and I think our audience will want to know, were you super excited when you found the blanket? Like, a new blanket! No, I was frustrated. I was like, man, (laughs) my blanket! I should have known that this wasn't there. That was about the same time that I told someone that I wanted to um, get a key finder, which is you put the little, like, key finder token things, like, around, and you have a little remote, and it beeps. And I told my friend my great plan to put these token reminders, like, one was next to the sink for the dishes, and one was, like, in the laundry. So when I saw it, but I didn't have time to do it, I could put down a token, and I wouldn't have to do it right then. And then before I got to bed, I could hit the remote to see what still needed to be done. And he was like, please go get tested. <laughs> and I said, okay. That's a good friend. Um, he was right. And I also got the key finder. And I haven't been using it. I feel like I would get so overwhelmed because then I would hear all of the things that I didn't do. I kept hitting the remote by accident. And then they'd beep. And it's really annoying. Yeah, no. So I took the batteries out of the remote. <laughs> My poor roommate's probably still picking them up. Like, what is this? But sometimes it's like surprises like finding the blanket you find things you forgot you had you rediscover songs that you like things like that forgetting about things and then remembering them again sometimes is fun I can see that I love when I find money that I've hidden yeah. you know like you're getting up $20 yeah yeah or I get your winter coat out and you're like what six dollars I, <laughs> I cleaned out a purse the, or i got my fall purse out the other day you know and i was getting it ready for action found two lip glosses 
that I really like felt like felt like my birthday. One thing I think that's important to note is that ADHD can look like so many other different things, like anxiety or autism or trauma or, or um, OCD even. And getting like an accurate diagnosis is really important because like you've said, you know, treating the anxiety and then some of the symptoms still being there. Um, so just knowing that it may or may not be ADHD when you're like bringing your kid in to get evaluated. Honestly, like I think, you know, with my experiences, obviously one of the reasons why ADHD to me is so tricky is that everyone has such personal experiences and they're all very different. Um, the same way that I didn't think I had anything to do with ADHD because my brother Mm -hmm. is more severe than I am. Um, and I, I mean, they caught me barely on psychological testing. It was a difference in my working memory skills on my IQ testing that kind of caught me. Um, I think seeking out that diagnosis was one of the best things I ever did for myself because, you know, I knew that my counselor had questions about it. She had brought it up before. Apparently a lot of my friends thought I had it and never said anything. Um, But it was like the first time where I actually had a, like I could put um, a face and a name basically to what I was experiencing. Everything that I thought was anxiety, depression, you know, there, it, they do come hand in hand with ADHD, but there was so much to me and about myself that I learned kind of either how to give myself a break or I learned kind of how to embrace certain parts of myself that I hadn't even thought about before because of getting a diagnosis, um, which was really beneficial to me. And like you said, it, it is hard to tell, is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it autism? Is it ADHD? There's so many things that it can be, and it can be a combination, which is also why I so highly recommend those things. Um, I know not everyone is super comfortable with a diagnosis or wants to seek that out, but I will say for those people that are kind of on the fence, I highly recommend it because I think it also is so comforting just to know, just to know more about yourself. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to be labeled or they don't want their kids labeled, and I get that. But I also think I look back on my childhood and I knew like I was um, I got diagnosed really early. Um, And even now, as an adult, there are things that I've learned and I look back and it helped me make sense of certain things. And it gives me a body of language to describe my experiences, whereas before it's really easy to see certain things as as character deficits or um, are just it helps you build your self-esteem even because you're like, oh, I did that because I have this. And um, I think that's really important. Um, And also, (laughs) I think it's important to get formally tested because sometimes the testing now is like you go to the doctor and they give you a Vanderbilt, for kids anyway, and they send it to the teachers and bring it back and it's like, oh, you have ADHD, here's a stimulant. And I think you could really miss something. The brain, there's so many more pieces to people than just that. And also, there's so many other parts to ADHD, like we've kind of talked about, where it isn't just 
focus and attention. It's a million other things, too. It's how your brain basically interacts with the world. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of wild how different those signs and symptoms can be. Like you said, I think you're more liable to miss something if you kind of go, eh, they're having trouble with paying attention in class. It must be ADHD. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that could be a million other things. Are they getting enough sleep? Are they growing? Are they eating enough? How's their, like, mental and emotional status? Mm -hmm. There could be a million things going on that may be ADHD or may not. And like you said, I do think that people don't want to be labeled... And that kind of makes them hesitant. And I think it definitely is a personality thing too. But I I went a lot easier on myself because I still, I was having those moments where I was like, I'm a failure because of this or whatever. That like sensitivity and that just emotional dysregulation. Knowing that number one, most people did not experience that mm-hmm. just like daily. I just assumed everyone else did that too. Um, but being able to verbalize it and then hear from other people, I don't do that. Why do you do that? Mm -hmm. And then me learning that there was a reason. And like you said, it wasn't a character flaw. Like it wasn't something that had to do with me that was wrong or bad. It was the way that my brain worked and the way it was kind of set up. It's like a, it's like a Mac versus a Windows. (laughs) I'm running on a different system and that means a lot of different things for me. So do you, you know, do you have anything... Any, like, parting thoughts or any recommendations, anything that you'd like to kind of share either about your experience or um, just for, like, people at large that are listening? I would just say that if you have ADHD, I think learning to have a lot of compassion for yourself and understand yourself is really important. And that if you suspect you have it, that seeking out evaluation and support is important um, because we're we're in that age where it, it's getting diagnosed more, it's getting recognized more, um, and then there's people like around our age, a lot of people were missed, and then they're in adulthood and having to like function as adults, and it's hard. And I would recommend that they, if they feel like something's off, then get tested, get an evaluation, but mostly just have a lot of compassion for yourself. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Knowing that when you find, like, where you're supposed to be, where you fit in, you know that your strengths will come through. Um, There are, like, a lot of positives to the way that your brain works, as much as there are negatives. Mm -hmm. But seeing the whole picture, when you find that place you fit in, you will take off. Mm -hmm. You will do it better and faster than you thought you could do, and... Not having compassion for yourself is going to prevent you from getting to that point. Mm -hmm. Being tougher on yourself is going to just continue to make you feel like you're failing or you're not doing the right things or that you need to be doing more or working harder. And it's not always about just pushing yourself harder. Like you said, it's about the compassion you show yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really big takeaway for anybody listening is we always kind of talk about make kindness your default when you're kind of going around your like daily life and you're interacting with a lot of different types of people, we're learning more about neurodivergence. We're learning more about the different um, types of people that are out there experiencing life a little bit differently than the rest of us. I think one of the most important things you can do is go forward with that compassion. Give it to yourself. If you have ADHD, you do need a lot of patience for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you have someone in your life who has ADHD that's experiencing those symptoms, um, Show them the same compassion that you would 
want them to show you too. But by and large, making kindness the first step and trying to educate yourself more, like Holly said, going forward with curiosity instead of judgment, Mm -hmm. can mean a world of difference to someone who's experiencing neurodivergence and maybe things are a little more difficult for them. Never know what someone's going through. Yeah, and I think that's good for parents and teachers and everyone involved in the workforce, even with people who are neurodivergent, to not just assume um, that they're rude, like we talked about earlier, or that they're not smart, or that something um, is wrong. Just making sure that we're approaching it with curiosity, as Holly said, and making it an accepting and affirming place everywhere we go. Yeah, absolutely. And I hate to wrap it up because I know that we could probably talk more on this stuff. There's a lot of experiences that we've all had, and hopefully we can do another episode like this. Um, There will be more episodes that focus on ADHD um, on the clinical side of things, as well as this more personal experience side of things. But we're going to go ahead and hand it over to Holly to uh, finish it out for today. All right, let's remember to make kindness our default. And until next time, be sweet, parakeets.